Welcome to the Positive Impact Podcast, where we dive into the world of movers, shakers, and changemakers, creating a positive impact on the world. This is your host, Alexandra Black Pollock, and together we're going to tackle real issues, discovering how we can make the world a better place. This episode of the Positive Impact Podcast is brought to you by HelloFresh, delicious, healthy, and fresh meals delivered straight to your door. Enjoy cooking again with scrumptious and easy to prepare meals three nights a week. Visit positiveimpactpodcast.com slash fresh for $40 off your first box. Today I have an absolutely extraordinary guest joining me. Six years ago, mere days following the January 2010 Haiti earthquake, Julie Colombino was on the ground in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, helping with the relief efforts. Inspired by the Haitian drive to rebuild their communities, Julie founded the nonprofit Rebuild Globally. This innovative organization focuses on creating sustainable solutions for survivors and also helped give birth to the high-end fashion brand Demay Designs. Julie, I'm beyond inspired. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, Alex, thanks for having me. I'm I'm so honored to be included in your podcast series. Oh, you are out there changing the world. Now, next week marks the sixth anniversary since the devastating earthquake that Haiti suffered in 2010. And we're going to spend some time today talking about the strength that the country has shown in the recovery. Six years later, why is this message so important? You know, we definitely honor and remember uh, that time in our history as a company and as a people. And just so thankful for the courage and bravery of the Haitian people and all that the survivors have taught us. And we hope that we can be an inspiration for others who suffer similar tragedies as we know that, you know, these things will happen in the world. And we hope that if this does happen, that people can look to Haiti and look to the the bravery that she has kind of expressed throughout the last six years. And so we're really thankful and for the opportunity to tell our story. I can't even imagine what it would have been like to be on the ground in Haiti following such a tragic disaster. Yeah, the truth the truth is, Alex, is that I, I kind of blocked out some of those early days, as I'm sure most people did. Um, you know, Haiti had lost all infrastructural capacity. Um, we were surrounded by, obviously, um, mountains of rubble, death. Um, I always talk about, um, when I'm asked this question, the things that I remember mostly are the sounds and the smells, because those are things that you can't kind of burn out of your memory as much as you want to. And um, the the strength of the Haitian people also is something that perseveres in my memory of how, you know, unbelievable uh, the tragedy was around us. And yet their strength to carry on throughout this, this uh, mess was unbelievable. And that's really the inspiration behind the company. Fast forward to six years, how has Haiti come together to rebuild? Um, Alex, I think that the story of Haiti, this is the one that is is told far too little. Um, the strength and the courage and six years later, how Haiti has rebuilt is, is fascinating. And, you know, we talk about Haiti as a beautiful tropical Caribbean island as it is. And yes, she suffers from poverty and disease and lack of opportunity and lack of job creation and things because of her very vast history. But the, the ability to, to take all of the, 
all, all of what the earthquake brought six years ago and kind of turn that into something beautiful is what we're seeing pockets of all over the island. Um, so, you know, we always try to encourage people to come and visit as tourists, as guests. Now, yes, you would have to have some patience because things like roads that are fully functioning and um, driving courtesy, <laughs> some of those things don't really exist yet. But as far as beautiful beaches and breathtaking waterfalls and mountains, it's it's one of the most beautiful places. And then of course the hospitality of the Haitian people. It's it's um it's an experience I think everyone should have. That is such a different picture than we typically get of Haiti. Mm. I know personally it was before the earthquake, but I was actually not allowed to go to Haiti as part of a school program. We were instead allowed to go to the Dominican Republic. Mm. So there's this idea that it's unsafe or it's not ideal for tourists right now. But that's not what you're seeing in Haiti. Uh, so I can't speak to post earthquake or pre excuse me pre earthquake because I never visited Haiti prior to. I actually traveled a lot to Africa and I felt more called to to respond in other ways to human suffering. But after the earthquake is um, when I felt you know so dramatically called to to be on the island. And yes, I think that there is a reality of violence when you're in a poverty situation, particularly after um, an earthquake where there's no infrastructure and law is hard to come by because, you know, so much of the mid-management and upper government had perished in the earthquake. So, of course, there was a lot of um, battling there. And prior to the earthquake, there is a part of Port-au-Prince called City Soleil, which I think was, you know, noted as one of the most dangerous places to live. Um, a lot of gang violence and, and things of that nature. And again, I think that those are those are realities within a within a poor community when, you know, people are are literally struggling to survive. And when there's no job opportunities, you'll see things like gang violence, um, you know, uh, you'll see crime and unfortunately rape and all those types of violent things that happen um, when when a community has no opportunities. Um, and to this day, I mean, sure, I think that people have to be smart travelers. I think no matter where you go in the world, if you're a guest somewhere, being culturally sensitive, um, being wise, being, um, you know, a smart traveler. I think that those are all necessary things. And I do believe Haiti is still considered a red zone for some, for some places so that they don't, they don't note it as a, like a top tourist destination, but that's something that we're, we're working very hard to change. I love that you walked right into creating change because Haiti is this beautiful island and the people there are so fantastic, but there's just been a lot of circumstances that have led to a lot of challenges. But this is where Rebuild Globally has stepped in and created so many different opportunities. You created it out of the birth of the earthquake. Can you tell us what your idea was for this organization? Yeah. Um, so I went to Haiti as a disaster responder. And to be honest, that really can mean a multitude of things, particularly after um, such an enormous disaster. Um, but I was mo mostly doing logistics and handing out food and water and, and things that I guess you do right after a disaster. And the the women were literally saying to me, no, job, no water, job, job. And, and I thought to myself, my God, you know, what do you want to do? There's nothing here. It was, it was literally living in tents, um, having, finding clean water was, was a challenge some days. Um, infrastructure, you know, even driving in a car, those were things that I didn't even do the first few months. It was walking and it was surviving. And so I thought, well, I mean, what could we possibly do? 
and um and it was kind of a combination of the women asking for jobs um, obviously a lot of work needing to be done people not having shoes or anything and then the idea of the the way that the the people were keeping the camps clean and what they were doing was putting tires on top of each other putting their trash inside which i actually thought was a brilliant idea when there's when there's no waste management system until they lit them on fire. And then I thought, oh, oh, that's a problem. <laughs> we were doing good. Yeah, we were doing so good. That was some innovation right there. <laughs> um, and so I had seen tire sandals being made in Africa when I'd lived there several years earlier. And I just kind of thought, well, why don't we just, you know, make some sandals? Because I knew employment was the only way. You know, I'd, I'd listened to these women. Um, I, had, I was watching my colleagues and counterparts not making great strides in some of the other initiatives we were making. I'd started to research the history of Haiti. And I, and I of course, have known the history of um, international intervention in, um, in the developing world. And we have not been successful, in my personal opinion. Of course, we've, we have, you know, helped in different areas. But Never when you colonize a, a community do you really, really help. It's more about listening than talking. And it wasn't didn't hurt me that I didn't speak the language, so I was able to listen a lot more than talk, um, <laughs> which proved to be towards our benefit because the people of Haiti, like I said earlier, created this company and the idea behind it. And it really was just fighting poverty at the most basic grassroots way, and that's just through dignified employment. And you know, we use that word dignified because it really is the basis of everything. It's how we treat people. It's how we invest in training. It's um, how we how we treat um, our customers and our, it, it's just, it's everything about who we are and who we want to be. And that again was just the, the spirit of, of the survivors that kind of shines through and Rebo globally just wants to be a catalyst in changing the system of how, you know, poverty and how, um, even disaster relief is kind of managed moving forward because we've had such great success uh, in a, the small community that we've been entrusted with in Haiti. What a unique kind of juxtaposition to have this entire community that is just trying to survive, but yet what they're really searching for is dignified employment. Yeah, it's it's really quite beautiful when you when you put it like that, you know, and you think about if you can kind of, you know, close your eyes and imagine what life was like for us 6 years ago. I mean, literally suffering every day. Um you know, like I said earlier, the the smells of blood and death and screams of not only people but animals. I mean, it it was it was, you know, very very intense and yet they had the foresight to say, I know you're going to leave someday just as, you know, many have come before and 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 done with other disasters. Haiti is no, uh, has had her fair share of disasters. Um, and they said, no, something that will stick, something that will stay. I want a job. And, um, it, it, it was, it was a miracle that they were able to have that foresight. It's also quite a testament to a lot of the ways that we've approached aid mm. where we, you know, go in and provide items and then withdraw without helping build structure. Exactly. And yes. Yeah. And, and that so doesn't that is, work. <laughs> from, yeah, from what we have seen, um, you know, of course, you don't want to criticize when anybody's trying to do something to add value to other people's lives. We don't want to criticize that. But what we hope to do is add some insight on how you can do that more effectively. So, you know, that just the idea of giving things away. Now, and of course, disaster response and and development are two different things. We mm-hmm. just have to have combined both. Um, <laughs> and um, so. 
in a disaster situation, people need things. Of course, of course. And we hope the generosity and the spirit and the heart of giving will never go away from, from human beings. But um, long-term development is something different. And when you give something away, you devalue people. And so long-term, you're actually changing an entire system. You're changing the way that children look at their parents when a mom has to be given a bag of rice versus going to the market and buying her own rice. There is something different in the way that a child will respond to their parents when that when they watch that constantly. And that's kind of the beauty of what we've seen in the last five years is watching family strengthen and community strengthen by that dignity again. You know, so something that we said early on is we will never give anything away. People will work. We all do. So everybody from the company, whether you're American or Haitian or volunteer or whatever it is, and um, or, you know, child living in the street, which of course we have a lot of street children. And so in the early days, you know, they'd want to come to our workshop and use the toilet or, you know, get a toothbrush or something. And so we'd say, yeah, no problem. Bring me a tire. And and that has been, and, and they have, and they do. And so if any of the kids need, or if anybody needs anything, we don't devalue them by saying, oh, you're so unworthy and we're so much better. We're going to give you something. It's like, nope, you are a valuable kid. Like there's a tire right there. I can make some sandals and sell and employ, employ somebody else. So bring me a tire. And it's, and it's kind of, I think not only kept us safe in the community because we've garnered respect from the outside um, people, but also the kids, um, they've grown. I'm hoping and praying that, you know, to love themselves even more as they should, because they're, they're magical little guys out there. How this is just incredible. You're kind of activating an entire community from homeless street kids to women asking for jobs. How has this started to change the culture in the communities that you're working in? Oh, Alex. I mean, I mean, so, so something, what we love to talk about is Jolena's story. The very first woman that we employed who, um, is married and her husband was a tap tap driver. A tap tap is a a taxi in Haiti and they're, um, it's a pretty lucrative job. Um, since not a lot of people have cars, you know, a lot of people use public transportation. Um, his car was destroyed during the earthquake. So he was without work. Jolena was, um, just a, a, a righteous community member since the day she was born and immediately started her own orphanage after the earthquake to help with, um, some kids that had lost parents during the quake. Um, and now today, Jolena was not only just a shoemaker and employed six years ago, but she owns stake in the company. So it's a Haitian-owned business where our community members, so a woman owns equity in this shoe company, in this fashion company. She bought her own house, um, and she loves telling the story of how she saved her money without her husband knowing because she was afraid he'd want to buy another car. And what she wanted was a home. So she saved her own money, bought the land, and literally brick by brick began to re- to build this home that now her, her family, her children, she's taken in two of her uh, sister's children. Um, and so watching a woman, so if you want to talk about even gender equality at this point, you know, Jolena will say that her husband comes home every night. We'll have other women tell us that, you know, they are a valued member in the family now. So um, you know, things that might have happened in the home before aren't happening anymore. Um, they, they're, the, the husbands will be brushing the hair and getting kids for school because the moms are going to work and bringing home this. I mean, it's it's changed everything from a gender perspective to a um, to just a societal perspective. I mean, our team, you know, they they, had, they made their own uniforms because it was so important. They wanted people to know they were going to work. That right there is so empowering for an entire community. Mm. You talk about her position now in the community. She's a woman who has equity in a company. She's a woman who purchased a home for her family. She's now taking in these other families. That just has to have incredible ripple effects throughout the entire community and definitely her family. 
Absolutely. We say that every job, you know, and of course we're estimating here, but every job estimates between like eight and 10 people. Um, wow. Of, yeah. <laughs> Our, our jobs are, of course, living wage payment, you know, so we don't pay the, the traditional. Um, so so we've, you know, investigated and figured out how do we have the greatest bang for our buck. And that really is, from, from my perspective, that's just ensuring that the profit distribution of our company is, div- is divided in a way that makes sense. So I think in most traditional businesses, the C-suite will be taking the majority of the profit sharing. And then as, you know, especially in fashion and supply chain, that dwindles down until we have things such as sweatshops and, and horrible things like that. In our company, we just divide that appropriately so that the people making the products are paid um, the wages that they deserve so that they can benefit themselves and their families. And that's kind of this whole system change that we're really interested in and kind of the idea of getting away from fast fashion and getting away from sweatshop labor and understanding and helping the the consumers of the world to understand that every purchase does have power and every purchase does matter and that you can make a vast change in the way that systems systems operate. And, and that's powerful. I mean, every human being can do something right now that will affect the life of someone else. And it could be a good effect or a negative effect. And now with globalization, you know, you actually have you, you can see. So I don't know if you've seen the movie, The True Cost, but that's a great movie. It's on Netflix right now that talks about the purchasing power of each person. Those are some intense marching orders. Everyone <laughs> can do something right now that impacts either positively or negatively someone else's life. Yeah, and I and I mean I believe that to be true, you know, and so um, I know I jump around quite a bit, but I'll tell you the company Dume Designs, which is the the fashion company and Haitian-owned business in Haiti that spun out of Rebuild Globally, is really where we're catalyzing that change. And so, you know, the nonprofit Rebuild Globally has existed to create the infrastructure and incubate the business and and kind of help um, getting people who may not have had some of the same experiences you or I had growing up. So a lot of our team didn't go to school or didn't um, have access to simple things as holding scissors or drawing straight lines. So, so ensuring that our team members are, are viable craftsmen and women, it takes a little bit longer to get them to that place. So that's where the nonprofit, you know, comes in helping with training and, and um, education. And we also have a kids program, all those types of things that, you know, the nonprofits do in communities to help advance the community. But the business, Dume Designs, Every single product that comes out of that business, 100% goes back into the company. So people will say, oh, you know, does 5% go back to the nonprofit? Does this? No, absolutely not. In our business model, everything goes back to that business because that business exists to create more jobs and allow more people the opportunity to, to have a life of meaning and dignity. And so it's, it's the system change of business. And that means that if you purchase sandals from Dume Designs or you have a handbag or a pair of earrings, that purchase 100%, everything that went into that product from the locally sourced leather to the upcycled tires to the two hands that made that product, there is integrity that is just ringing throughout the entire product. And that is so awesome, you know, versus buying something that may or may not have been contributing to somebody making $1.75 today. Um, and, and I think that, you know, the less is more mentality is, is something that if we don't embrace as a culture, we are going to self-implode. <laughs> not to be dramatic. But... No, not dramatic at all. No, <laughs> not at all. I'm not, I'm not ever told I'm dramatic. <laughs> well, this is something, this idea of a nonprofit basically setting the infrastructure and creating way for business is so innovative and so revolutionary, but yet you're finding it to be so successful. What types of things did this nonprofit have to have 
and help the community do to lead the way towards this very successful business? Oh yeah, that's a great question. So, um, you know, we, our success is, is due to our donor community. So we are still a charity and every donated dollar has helped with this infrastructure. So buying equipment, you know, for the, for the sandal making workshop, investing in the training, we have 30 young people in our community who we provide academic scholarships with a guaranteed job at Dumbay Designs upon graduation. And so that's expensive, you know, teaching those kids, <laughs> um, making sure that they're successful in school and giving them those life skills that are needed. Um, you know, um, the, the, the nonprofit itself, you know, we say incubated this idea of success because you're right, it is innovative. And so kind of not having anybody to, to, to help us along the way, we've, we've had to figure out a lot of this stuff on our own. And particularly in Haiti, it's, it's not, uh, you know, to be quite honest, not the easiest place to operate. (laughs) (laughs) As we mentioned earlier, there's some challenges. We've had our fair share of challenges, um, and but we've, but yeah, we have been successful in the sense that we've been able to to make some wonderful collaborations. Um, one of our most successful collaborations has been with philanthropist and designer Kenneth Cole. He came into our workspace last year and designed the Love Haiti sandal, and so with his uh, incredible design and our craftsmen and women's talent together, we produced this sandal that. Um, you know, is really gorgeous and kind of broke us through in this more of a high-end fashion place. Kenneth taught us how to be better craftsmen and women and how to use our locally sourced leathers even better, how to, um, you know, look at our designs in a, in a more fashionable way. In addition to Kenneth, we had uh, an incredible woman and uh, supermodel Heidi Lindgren visit the workshop. And, you know, she kind of did the same thing. She said, I love this business model and I love what this is doing in the community, but I'm not sure I would wear flip-flops. And so, you know, she said, took it upon herself to say, could I design something that I would wear in New York City on, on, you know, fashion calls and all these (laughs) things that she does? Well, yes. Yes, you can. (laughs) As a matter of fact, that would be great. And I'll tell you, this woman you know, bought herself a ticket to Haiti, flew down, lived with our team for two weeks, came into that workshop every day and designed the Bel Nam line. And it, Bel Nam means beautiful soul in Creole. And what Heidi has helped us do is realize the inner and outer beauty of not just each team member, but of like the company. And, um, you know, she uses her platform that she's created as a supermodel to help get us, you know, in the view of others, you know, as, as you do with this podcast and giving us the opportunity to tell people that we exist, Heidi's done in her circle, Kenneth does in his circle, you know, all these different people who come into our world that help people know that Dume Designs does exist. You can buy a pair of sandals right now and it will affect probably between eight to 10 lives. You can make a donation to the nonprofit if you're passionate about education and training, but anything that you do, um, will will help this system change because we don't see ourselves ending in Haiti. We don't think that we're a company that's post-disaster. We don't think we're a Haitian, just a Haitian company. We see this being a global movement to to impact communities from the United States to China to Thailand to Africa. Um, that is our hope and prayer for this company. Well, no one can say that you set your sights really low for that type of company, <laughs> right? That is a huge global impact. One of the things I want to circle back on, though, is the quality of the product. Because you don't get philanthropists like Kenneth Cole or models like Heidi to come down and invest time into your artisans unless they're creating a quality product. Well, thank you for recognizing that. You know, and I'll tell you, it, it, that wasn't an easy journey. Um, you know, six years ago, our sandals have gone through at least 75 revisions now. Um, wow. Did you just say 75 revisions? Se- 
75 revisions. Oh, yes. wow. Yep. And the first one came um, when we had some visitors from the Clinton Foundation that heard that we were upcycling tires. You know, we've upcycled over 9,000 tires and each pair of sandals keeps 10 kilograms of CO2 from being admitted into the at- Earth's atmosphere. So it's not a small impact. This is a huge environmental impact. And um, But the truth is, when they came to visit, and again, this was, you know, in 2010, <laughs> they said, uh, the sandal's quite ugly and it's not comfortable. <laughs> That's those are kind of important things for a sandal. I mean, you might be able to get away with one or the other, but not both. <laughs> you know, Alex, we were just really patting ourselves on the back that we had created something. We opened that workshop eight months after the earthquake, and we were just and it and it was nothing spectacular. It was a lean to and a tarp, and we sat on the floor cutting tires with razor blades. So in retrospect, I guess it wasn't that great. But to us, you know, after eight months of of kind of you know being in this like hell like environment, we were we were so proud. And so when we got that feedback. Um, from the Clinton Foundation, um, I actually went into like I think a deep depression for a few weeks, and then um, decided to, to to use that. And so I went down to the port and I met a shoemaker because um, there's tons of cobblers in Haiti. There's there's craftsmen all all over the country, of course. And um, we convinced a, a cobbler to come and train us to make better sandals. And and he did. He became our supervisor and designer and um, and revolutionized what we could do. And then as the years went on, different people would just kind of invest in us. You know, somebody would come and say, hey, have you ever used this tool? Have you thought about this? We even got some help from um, some guys that worked at Nike who Skyped with our team from Portland and taught us how to make arch supports. Oh, you know, that so- is incredible. Yeah, I mean, people, we are only this, you know, we are only this good because of the and I mean, like I'm, I'm saying probably thousands of people that have gotten us this, to this point, nobody can do this type of work alone. And we need even, we need a thousand more to get to the next level, of course. So, um, anybody's feedback, anytime that, you know, somebody got a pair of sandals, something wasn't comfortable, something wasn't this. And they told us, and they actually gave us that information. We've been able to make changes as we went. One of our, um, most successful, I think, um, change revolutions happened was when we sold to Ron John surf shop in Cocoa beach. Um, it was a really great sale for us, and we found that surf companies love the environmental impact of our sandals. And um, but we got some excellent feedback that you know we needed more colors, and the sandal was too heavy, and the woman's sandal didn't look feminine enough. And so from their customers, they allowed us the opportunity to learn about what our what would make our product not just a sympathy buy, but a desirable product. And that's really the sustainable part is it can't just be that somebody feels bad for us that they buy the sandal. It's that it's an awesome, hot, cool, trendy sandal, um, you know, that we also guarantee 50,000 miles. So it's a (laughs) lifetime guarantee, you know, so it has to be the perfect product. And so it's all these people pouring into us that has allowed us that, you know, the opportunity to to get better and to, to attract, you know, the attention of Kenneth Cole. Um, so yeah, we, we definitely, um, love our quality. Like we said, all the leather is sourced locally. Um, every, every bottom has a, a, a tire sole. Um, we, we, they're comfortable, they're light, they're soft and, and they're, they're, they're formable to the foot. We, we think they're the perfect product to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am so excited that you've gone and realize the power of moving beyond a sympathy buy and saying, we're going to make a kick-ass product that mm-hmm. everyone wants and it helps change, and it helps change the world. Absolutely. It, it's, it's, I think it's the only way that – that's the only reason we're open six years later, I believe. <laughs> you know? One of the really important things that I want to circle back on that you just said, while you've had thousands of people investing in you and each time that happened, you've been able to move the company forward – it wasn't always easy. So when the global 
when the Clinton Institute came down and told you that, ooh, sorry, the product's not comfortable and it's not very pretty. That's hard as an entrepreneurial journey. That is hard and that is not easy, but you will, you were able to persevere despite that. <laughs> you know, um, and, and to tell you the truth, Alex, I didn't really know who or what I was, especially six years ago. I remember the first time I was called a social entrepreneur, I had to Google it because I'd never even heard the term before. That is awesome. <laughs> you know, I was like, what? And then, and because I always called myself the black sheep because I, I didn't really fit in with anybody in Haiti. And what we were doing was just so different. And um, so it was really nice to actually be named, to be like, oh, okay, there's other people like us out here. And know that the feedback, that that isn't easy to hear. And, you know, um, especially when you're, you're when you're in it, um, you know, when post disaster, we were really in it and we were suffering with, um, things that, you know, a typical business or a typical nonprofit wouldn't suffer with when you're, when you're on the ground. I mean, we were still living in tents at that point. I mean, it was, you know, this has been a very long journey, but the, the truth of it is, is that, um, without that feedback and without figuring out what would make us successful, it, it, it was pointless because then I knew we would just pack up and leave like everyone else. And so I knew that I was not smart enough or wise enough or had enough, um, you know, experience to know what would make this work. Cause I didn't even know what we were doing. So I knew we had to listen again. You know, it's, it's, it's really been that idea of listening, um, and figuring out what it's going to take. And so we're still, you know, incredibly open to that feedback. And I think that's one of the, the best things about our company is that we, we are very humble in the sense where we want to make what works because there's lives at stake. So this isn't about, you know, becoming a Fortune 500 company. This is about saving lives. This is about changing the experience on this planet for, you know, hopefully millions of people someday. And so you can't take that charge lightly. And you have to know that there are people out there that can help. And so you have to listen to that advice. And we don't always listen to everyone's advice, but <laughs> a majority of the time we do. <laughs> so. Well, I would have to say that you guys being humble, it's not the best thing about your company. I would say it's valuable, but you're educating communities, you're training them, you're empowering them through business, you're creating an environmental impact, you're saving lives and changing the world. Oh, thank you. Just, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool too, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, no big deal. No big deal. <laughs> well, I am just blown away with everything that you guys have done through Rebuild Globally to basically birth and create Demay Designs. Thank oh. you. It's been a fun journey, that's for sure. <laughs> Before jumping into the rapid fire, a quick resource and tool for you as you grow your business. One of the most challenging things out there can be around branding and marketing and really telling your story in a way that resonates with customers. To help, we've built a comprehensive ideal customer worksheet to help you walk through all the different steps in identifying your customer. Download your free copy at positiveimpactpodcast.com slash branding. Hang out with us there and you're also going to find information about a brand new branding guide for young businesses, all giving you the tools to make that positive impact in your business. And now for that rapid fire. Life is a balance of work, passion, and adventure. Can you tell us about a recent adventure or excursion that you've gone on? Mm. Yeah, my I, I can tell you my favorite excursion. Ooh, um, perfect. <laughs> I, yeah, I traveled to Jordan two years ago, and so I, go, I guess that's not too recent, but in my world, <laughs> maybe that is. Time goes by fast. It does. I think it's because I'm so old; it goes by fast. But <laughs> I'll tell you, I I was able to um, to have a, a three day experience in Jordan, which, by the way, forty five percent of the population is refugees, and um, we we traveled along Jordan and and you know, met the local people and, and experienced all the beautiful things of the country and watched how 
um, in a community where 45% is refugees, how the Jordidians had this um, amazing love for the human spirit. So it doesn't matter what the ethnicity or the nationality was of the people living and suffering through there, but being like the poorest, I think it's the poorest country in the Middle East, they have this spirit about them that, um, that, I, that I hope has also helped shape me as a human being. And I think that as you know, getting the opportunity to travel and to meet other people and to see how other things are done, that just makes you a better person in not only in your work, but in your life. And so I'm really thankful for that opportunity. And I highly suggest if anyone can go to Jordan to do it, it's incredible. Love for the human spirit. That is something that we can all learn from. Mm. Many social entrepreneurs, now that we understand what that term is, find solace and tranquility in the outdoors. How have you found this to be beneficial in your life and your work? Yeah, I, um, I love to tell people that I don't find the the beach or the islands as much of a, a place of tranquility anymore since we work so much in the Caribbean. And so I love I love the cold, which is really bizarre because I've always used to hate the cold. Um, and so going up into the mountains and hiking and being you know one with different something different than what we experience every day in Haiti or even in Florida. So I I was telling my team that this year I am going to go to Alaska and um, I just want to be with polar bears and ice and snow and and kind of be one and under understand like um, the cold, like feel the cold on my face and be able to think about our company and our journey in a different way and use nature and all the elements out there to, to kind of do that because we don't, I don't get the cold very much. So I'm excited to, to, to try to do something different. No, Florida doesn't get the cold that often. It really doesn't. Like I'm in a t-shirt right now and it's December. I'm in San Diego, so I understand how that goes. <laughs> yeah. And I love retreating back to the mountains, to either Idaho or Montana, and going out cross-country skiing and, you know, mm. curling up in a big jacket and scarves and all the fun things you get to wear in winter. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. I need a scarf in my life. Yeah. And maybe some free mittens. So I'm going to have to do something like that. Well, you Maybe. will in Alaska. Trust me, you'll need them. Definitely. Yes. <laughs> what role has mentorship played in your success? Oh, mentorship is everything. Um, whether it be, you know, my my greatest mentor is Mother Teresa. Um, I think that, you know, um, I think she suffered a lot, um, you know, seeing the poverty. And um, I, I am a woman of faith, and, and I believe that our journey has, you know, been something that I was called to do. And when you're doing something that you feel called to, and yet, you know, you're seeing such despair, it's, it's a really, like, it's, it hurts your heart, like, in immeasurable ways, to be honest, you know, because you just, you just in, your, in my like infinite mind, I couldn't understand why I'm supposed to be here and that I'm supposed to help, but yet people are dying and suffering all around me. It, it, it's a pretty intense thing, but you know, watching how like Mother Teresa kind of used used her her platform to to continue to persevere because sometimes you want to give up. So a mentor that's you know not really a mentor because I've never met her. She's you know she's not even alive. Two mentors where my board chair you know is is a really strong woman in this community who will just let me go out for a glass of wine and cry about something that didn't happen or sit down on the floor with me, take her shoes off and, and start drawing out business models. You know, so having people <laughs> that are willing to like get down there and do the dirty stuff or having people fly over to Haiti and say, okay, this is what we see. Cause at some point you can't see things anymore. And I like to tell my garbage can story. And, uh, about two years into starting the business, 
you know, I was getting really upset at my, at my Haitian craftsmen and women team because they were always throwing everything on the floor. And I thought, how come nobody respects the workspace? You know, we just got this like beautiful new, like shipping container. We're like, you know, working, this is like a big deal, like moving up from the tent space. And I was like, why is everybody throwing stuff on the floor? Nobody respects the space. And, um, our very first country director was in country and she looked at me and she goes, where's the garbage can? And I said, my God, we didn't even own a garbage can. And so but <laughs> that I helps see it, you know, like you're, when you're so in it, you can't see it. So mentorship, I think can come from a, a, from a genre of places, from people who are wiser and older and better than you and people who are new and younger and creative. So I think just keeping open to anybody that can pour into you, especially when, if you're a social entrepreneur and you're like in it and you can't really see, cause I mean, sometimes I'm just completely blinded by, by like, you know, the constant um, challenges that I have to, to open open your heart to that so that you can kind of learn from everyone. And because you, we need mentorship. I mean, we absolutely need the advice and help of others and the support, you know, and sometimes, um, you know, I don't like to throw around the woman card too much, but it is a lonely place. You know, when I was a, just a disaster relief worker, I think it was like one woman to every 27 men, you know, so there, there just, there wasn't a lot of space for, for, you know, somebody who has different emotions because of gender or somebody, you know, or, um, and also I was expat. So, you know, I, I was, I was, uh, I felt alone a lot of the time. So I think that, you know, having people to support you and to just remind you that, Hey, you're not alone. You're not doing this alone, uh, is, is mandatory for anybody to be successful. Anyone who can pour into you. That is the best description for mentorship that I think I've ever heard. <laughs> I'm on fire today. You are. You're like, you're going. (laughs) We're just trying to keep up over here. (laughs) I've had like nine cups of coffee, so. Oh, yeah. Do you have a book that you recommend to other people as they're going on to a journey either to make an impact or start a business? Mm. Um, This is old school, but one of my favorite books that it's it's one of my go-tos is called The Soul of Money by Lynn Twist. And this book, um, I absolutely fell in love with years ago because it talks about the intention behind dollars. And as a person who runs both a nonprofit and a for-profit, the intention behind the dollars that are either given or, you know, uh, spent uh, are, are extraordinary. And I think that there is repercussions for taking certain money or making certain products. And this book always reminds me to keep the intention behind the dollar at the forefront of everything. Because money is power in our community. You know, this is how we operate and people live and die with what they have or don't have as far as dollars and cents. Um, so that's one of my favorite books. And so it's not necessarily about entrepreneurship, but it's about how you, how, how to, you know, take the big responsibility of being um, in charge of someone else's money and, you know, as a nonprofit manager or, you know, having a company that must have profit incredible I have to admit I haven't heard that one so that's exciting to have a new book (laughs) it's a really good one good is there a mantra or a motto that guides your work both with rebuild globally and then helping mentor Deme designs it's a it's more of a word and then the word is integrity and um it's something that started on day one you know integrity amongst the I mean, because again, you know, try to imagine landing on, there was not even an airstrip when I landed in Port-au-Prince 10 days after the earthquake, you know, it was, it was complete chaos and complete, I was so scared and I had no idea what was going on. But I mean, I remember, you know, God just saying like, make sure you have integrity with every action and, um, and with every interaction and, 
it's that it's kind of like that philosophy that has that has catapulted both you know myself our company everybody that works with us um the nonprofit and domain designs the for profit and so it's just about having integrity and i hope that doesn't sound too wishy-washy but that's that's kind of the truth i love it it's simple it's concise but yet it helps define every action you take both in the nonprofit and then in the business yeah i mean that's just the truth earlier you made this incredible statement that says every action you have today can impact others whether positively or negatively. If our listeners want to turn that impact into a positive impact, what advice do you have for them today to go out and make a positive impact for others? Well, I'm going to answer that selfishly first. <laughs> and <I'll> say, <laughs> All right, we're good. <laughs> you go to dume.coms and buy a pair of sandals for that special someone in your life and make a killer Christmas gift or holiday gift so that, you know, you so that people that love you and that you love know that you are using your purchasing power to not only impact yourself but people you care about because I think that's powerful um, and then you know if, if in a non-selfish answer um, <laughs> I would say you know I would say that um, investing in someone else always makes you feel better so before I started this I was a volunteer manager and um, 10 times out of 10 the people who volunteered felt better than the recipients of the charity. You know, people want to feel good about, you know, they want to do, people want to do good. You know, this is kind of like the Anne Frank mentality. People are innately good, right? So I would say, give someone the opportunity to do something nice for you and do something nice for others. Like, you know, being able to, to be open to both sides of it, I think is important. That is absolutely a wonderful intention for the new year to invest in others. Oh, Julie, you really have been on fire this entire time. Thank you so much for joining us. For our listener who is going to take your advice, they're going to go and buy those sandals. How do they get in touch both with Rebuild Globally and Deme Designs? For, for for shopping and for learning about all these great products, you'll visit Dume.com, which is D E U X. M-A-I-N-S dot com. And I'm not sure I told all your listeners, but Dume means two hands in French. And, you know, and that we, we want this company to not only be about the two hands that have made your product, but your two hands. You are the recipient and you're using your two hands for good. And that matters just as much as making sandals from tires. It is about your purchasing power. So our whole company wants to help inspire people to, to do that, to use your two hands. And um, so Dume.com. And then if you are interested in making a tax deductible donation, please visit us at rebuildglobally.org. And we will ensure that we use intention behind the dollars you gift and entrust to us. Julie, the work that you guys are doing is absolutely incredible. Again, thank you so much for joining us. No, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. What an absolutely incredible story that Julie shared with us today. To all the movers and shakers out there, I hope you are as inspired as I am to go from the ashes of such a terrible and devastating tragedy to build infrastructure, empowering communities, educating, training, employing through business, and empowering communities. Julie's story is absolutely just incredible. I hope you were as inspired by it as I was today. For all of today's notes, resources, and anything mentioned, head on over to our show notes page at positiveimpactpodcast.com slash rebuild globally. 
We're going to have some photos for you, both of the artisans and of the incredible sandals that Demay Designs makes. If you want a free download of The Soul of Money or one of the books our other guests recommended, head on over to positiveimpactpodcast.com slash goodreads. We've got two free audio downloads thanks to Audible. And until next time, keep doing your part to make the world a better place.